Today we are <clears throat> looking back at our series that uh, Pastor Tony started, <coughs> excuse me, um, entitled Rescue. And the series uh, that we, we started with that just came to, um, <clears throat> came out of the point to where we are in our study of Luke. And so today, if you would uh, open your Bibles to Luke 23, <clears throat> excuse me. Being Luke 23. I believe that where we are today in the Gospel of Luke is to the point in human history that is, in fact, the greatest event that has ever happened in human history. When we think of how our calendar is divided, it's divided uh, based upon the, the birth of Jesus. Um, but in reality, if Jesus didn't die for sins and was resurrected, then our calendar would have never changed. It would just have been another marginalized Galilean peasant that, that had some good ideas and did some amazing things. Yet today, you're here today because 2,000 years ago, a man lived and he died. We look today at the story of the crucifixion in the Gospel of Luke. John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says, No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus had a purpose. Jesus, the Bible said, set his face like a rock, like flint towards Jerusalem, because he knew that at Jerusalem a cross awaited him there. If you have your Bibles in Luke 23, we'll pick up in verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last when I was a young Christian and uh, probably a high school senior, I, I got to the point to where my life was, uh, I wanted my life to be marked by the gospel and, and Christ and I wanted to live for Him. Our, our youth group had a little skit that we put together and we liked it and I'm sure it was kind of cheesy, but, um, but I played the character of Christ in that skit and I was kind of new and uh, a little bit reckless in my faith, even more so then than I am now. And uh, I played the part of Christ. And Jesus, uh, we know that the story, he was crucified and he was resurrected. And um, I remember playing that part. And, and I remember, thanks, Joe. I remember people, uh, I don't remember who it was, but some of my friends in my youth group, they, <clears throat> they pretended like they were attacking me and jeering me and taunting me. And they nailed my hands and feet to a cross and they picked me up and and as I was doing this I were I, I, I came up on the cross and I looked at the at my church the the church that that I made a public commitment to ministry in and, I, and as I was pretending to be Jesus dying for people that I was looking at it just got to me I started crying up there and I was it was like Oscar moment but for me it wasn't like 
Like I didn't think that, that wasn't in the script. That wasn't in my plan. And and I died up there in front of these people for these people. And I thought, this is this is not my place to do this. And as I was standing there, I was like, I can't just say, all right, I'm done with the skit. I'm quitting. I can't I can't finish this. And, and they took me down and they buried me. And uh, the resurrection happened in the skit. And at the end of the service, I was still crying. And I remember sitting on the steps. I was crying like a little baby. And my pastor came up to me. He said, why are you crying? He's alive. I said, yeah, but he still died for me. And something just came over me as I wept because of the crucifixion. I think today my prayer for you is that we look at the crucifixion and God would, something would come over you as you realize the weight of that event and how it affects your life. Before we go into our study, I think we should pray for God's word to be proclaimed. Father, we come to you now, Lord, in the name of Jesus that that died and that was resurrected. <clears throat> we pray, God, that you would use your words today, use your servant today. Preach to us, teach us. Lord, we need you today, we need your help today. We love you today and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. We come to the death of Jesus in our story in Luke in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And the Bible says it was about the, the sixth hour. And so that's, that's roughly about noon in, for them. So it's, it's noon, okay? It's lunchtime for people. It's noon. And there was darkness. Darkness fell over the whole land until about the ninth hour. So that's about 3 p.m. So from about noon till 3 p.m., darkness, complete and utter darkness. In verse 45, it says, <clears throat> While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And I think if we look at these passages here, just these two verses right here, I think we need to unpack two huge, incredible, amazing realities that are happening right here. First of all, we see God's judgment. We see God's judgment. The weight of sin was placed on Jesus. The sin of man, the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. This darkness represents the represents judgment, represents God's displeasure of what's going on. Not only of the crucifixion of His beloved Son, but the fact that His Son is dying for the sin of men. So we have this darkness that just has befallen the land and everybody sees it and everybody knows what's going on. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 through 10. Amos speaking on the judgment of God said, On that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. And darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. That is just a, a morbid symbol of mourning, of grief. When you hear sackcloth and a, a, people would shave their head out of grief, out of despair. I will make it like the morning for an only son at the end of it, like a bitter day. We see God's judgment placed on Jesus because of sin. It darkened. He died in your place for your sins. A death you should have died. He died. Not only do we see God's judgment in these first two verses of this passage, but we see God's blessing. The next thing that happens, and if you don't really know what's, understand what's going on here, let me explain to you a little bit. The next thing that happens is this 
ripping of the veil. It was, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And this veil was a separation between the holiest of holies, where God's complete, full, amazing presence dwelled. And there was a veil. And only one person, one time a year, could go behind that curtain, could go behind that veil and offer atonement for sins. One guy, one time a year, once for all people. And the veil, that veil that separated God's atonement from His people, that separated God's presence from His people, that veil ripped in half. This is good for us. If the veil was not torn, then today we would still need to offer animal sacrifices. Once a year, the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of our sacrifice. And that's the only way that we would have remission of sins. Because the Bible says that apart from shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. We see God's blessing in this. The curtain's torn. The veil was lifted for us. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore, listen to this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we, you, me, listen, Because of Jesus, if you're a believer, you can take a bold step past that torn curtain into the holy places where God is. Teenager, you can. Mom, you can. Dad, grandma, grandpa. By the blood of Jesus, we have confidence that we can enter the holy places. By the new and living way, That he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. So this curtain that was torn, not only symbolic of the the old covenant, the old requirement of the law being dropped down, but it's it's also symbolic of, of him being the curtain. And he is ripped in two. So we can have access, full access to God. Verse 21 in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The veil was torn. Huge blessing. The darkness was there. Represented God's judgment. Let's keep going. We look in Luke chapter 23. Verse 46 says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is Jesus just expressing His trust in God, expressing His yielding to God. We see that obviously Jesus is going through a difficult, troubling time. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer... According to God's will, this is Jesus, he is suffering according to God's will, entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing good. Jesus doing the ultimate good, suffering according to God's will, he's entrusting his spirit to the Father. That's why he cried out with a loud voice, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. We also see this happening in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. Stephen is... uh, the first Christian martyr. As, we, as you go through the story of Acts, you come to chapter st- 7, and Stephen, it says, the man full of faith, and he's killed, he's stoned to death, and as he's dying, he looks and he says, Lord, receive my spirit. So Jesus, after having said this, he breathed his last. And Luke 
chapter, 40, chapter 23, verse 46, God died. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of all. It says, by the word of his power, the universe is upheld. The creator, all-powerful, all-sustainer was slain because of my sin, because of your sin. The perfectly righteous Son of God was murdered. There's a centurion there in verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place. Now what's a centurion? A centurion is somebody that's over about a hundred soldiers. This centurion, after he saw what had taken place, he saw the conversation between Jesus and the criminals on the cross that we talked about last week. He's listening to that. He ordered possibly the, the beating of Jesus himself. Maybe he took in his hand the cat of nine tails as he tortured and brutally beat the Son of God. The centurion, he saw this taking place. He, he heard the, the prayers of Jesus from the cross. He wasn't just some passerby that saw this. He saw Jesus' behavior towards his enemies. He says, forgive them. He saw the blackened sky, the earthquake. He saw everything that Jesus went through. And what happened? It says he praised God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. In other gospel accounts, we find that the centurion said, surely this man was the Son of God. What a declaration from a Roman centurion. Surely he was innocent. Surely he was the Son of God. And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle. Now, I look at that word, that word spectacle, that's, that's something that, that people would look at from a distance and and and... Sometimes people would cheer about it and sometimes people would just be grossed out by it. It was a spectacle. That's what it was. Jesus dying on the cross was a shameful, shameful spectacle. People would look at this and come from all over and say, hey, they're going to crucify somebody today. And some mama was saying to their son, baby, don't go watch that. It's a spectacle. It's shameful. It's gross. The people would go observe someone being beaten and crucified. This shameful, shameful spectacle only reserved for the worst of worst of criminals. The crowds, when they assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast, not like King Kong out of victory, but slapping themselves out of grief. They were beating themselves. They saw the spectacle of this perfect Son of God being slain. And they went home in grief. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. There's a lot going on with the death of Jesus. You have the dying Savior. He's crying out to the Father. It's excruciating agony of the cross. That word excruciating, we get... That word excruciating, it has the root word, same word for crucifix, crucify. When you're in excruciating pain, when you say that, you're talking about the cross. Excruciating pain the Son of God was going through. You see, sometimes we limit what's happening on the cross to just the physical pain of what's going on. The beatings, flesh being ripped off of Him. The nails, the thorns, as he 
braces on the nails to, to pull up to get a little bit of air before he suffocates. We think about those, we talk about those, and sometimes they would cut up the back of the cross so they would have to slide up a jagged edge on a ripped open back to just get air. Yeah, that's pain. That's serious pain that Jesus said for the joy of the cross, he went and died for you. There was joy in that. That he willingly died. But not only was there physical pain of the cross, there's the entire weight of the sins of man on him. One of the worst things you'll go through in life is suffering because of sin. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have suffered greatly in your life from a horrible mistake you've made. All of the sin of man was upon Jesus on the cross. The weight, that agony, that excruciating pain of sin was on Him. Not only was it the physical torture of the cross, the sin of man, but the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. The full, unadulterated wrath of God. And as Christians, we wear a cross around our neck. We put a cross on our wall. And as believers, we, we see the agony of the physical pain of the cross. We see the excruciating pain of the sin of man upon our Savior. We see the wrath of God upon Him. And we say emphatically, yes, that has to happen. When, we, when, you, when you open John's account, the gospel in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This word here is referring to Jesus. This word with is referring to this interpersonal relationship that the Trinity has with itself. This beautiful, perfect, holy community that Jesus and the Father had this face-to-face relationship with one another. They were with one another from eternity past. It says the word was with God. The word was God. He... He was in the beginning with God. He meaning Jesus. Jesus was with God face to face in a beautiful, glorious, perfect relationship. In Him was life and the light. Life was the light of men. What happened when Jesus was on the cross that that perfect face to face relationship that He had with the Father, the Father turned His face away. And that's why we have Jesus crying out, Why have you forsaken me. The eternal Word made flesh was no longer face to face with the Father's perfect goodness. Instead, He was face to face with the Father's perfect wrath. Now we have a face to face relationship with Jesus today, with God today. That as Jesus was Face to face with the Father and and the full wrath of God was so much that God had to turn away from Him. That if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior, then the full wrath of God that is barreling down your highway, fixing to meet you, the wrath of God, that face to face relationship that you will have with the wrath of God, if you place your faith in Jesus, 
then you'll have a face-to-face relationship with the perfect love of the Father. And that is a good place to be. So, as believers, as Christians, this spectacle of the cross, we, we beat our breath in grief. We, we turn away and out of the, the shameful spectacle that we see. But at the deepest places of who we are as believers, we look to the cross and we say yes. Because if it weren't for the cross, you would have no way to have a relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did. We also see bewilderment, the centurion. He's just like, just amazed at what, what's going on. We see the reaction of the crowd there in, in grief, their disbelief, this, his acquaintances. They stood back from a distance watching these things. I think sometimes that's how we respond to the cross, to the message of the gospel. Some of us in here, we're just bewildered at it. It's kind of like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like, really? That's, that's incredible. Or maybe you respond in grief. Or maybe you respond in a distance, a disbelief. We don't need to respond like that. We need to respond by looking at the cross and saying, yes, Jesus, my Jesus, crucified, horrifically murdered. Because if he wasn't crucified, you're not going to be forgiven. There's no way. There's no way. Next thing that we see in our account here is verse 50. Luke 23, verse 50, we find the burial of Jesus. Now there was a man named Joseph. He was a wealthy disciple. He was a person of prominence. He, the Bible says that he's a member of the council. It says from a Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a believer. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court that was screaming out, crucify him. It was going to Pilate and saying, we want him dead. But he didn't take part in that. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He had the authority and he had the prominence to do that. A woman, one of these holy women that's watching this from a distance, they couldn't have gone and even talked to Pilate. But this man could. He asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down. This guy, Joseph, took down Jesus from the cross. Other gospel accounts, we find Nicodemus in here as well, who's also a prominent man of, the, uh, of, of Jewish standing. Probably both Pharisees, but they're believers. And so they go and they take, he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen, in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one has ever been laid. The Bible prophesied that that would happen. That he would be laid in a tomb where no one's been laid. This Joseph Arimathea, this was probably his family tomb. This, this rich man's family tomb that he had made for him. All according to the prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. Verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So these women, um, Mary Magdalene, 
We find some others there too. Then they return and prepare spices and ointments. They're going to take, um, uh, traditionally I think it's about 100 pounds of spices and ointment that you would take and you would anoint a dead body. And so they were, there's some of that was there from Joseph and Nicodemus. But now uh, these women were going to go back and they were going to prepare more spices and ointments for their dead body. Verse 56 at the end of it, it says, And on the Sabbath they rested according to the command. Now, what if that was the end? Because the way that the story looks, if you've never read this for the first time, and you didn't have the page that came after, that ends right there, doesn't it? That's the end. This this man, this people were amazed at the things that he said and did, and, and they, they killed him. They crucified him. They pulled him off the cross. They laid him in a tomb. They went to get some spices and ointments to anoint his body. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. The end. This was Friday. Jesus crucified. But l- listen. Verse 24. Listen. Chapter, tw- chapter 24, verse 1. This is an amazing phrase, but on the first day of of the week. This is an amazing word at the beginning of this chapter, but. This word right here, but, if that wasn't in Scripture, you wouldn't be here. Okay? But on the first day of the week. Okay, so it's Friday. Jesus is killed, but on the first day of the week. There's a sermon by a man named S.M. Lockridge. He says, it's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is sleeping. Judas is betraying, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying, but they don't know that Sunday's are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit burdened. But you see, it's only Friday because Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world is winning. People are sinning and evil is grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And they raise Him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what was happening to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin is conquered and Satan's just laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday and Sunday's coming. We got Sunday right here in the first part of this verse right here. Sunday. Friday he was killed. He was beaten. He was crucified. But Sunday, 
But on the first day of the week, the Bible says, chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1, at early dawn, they, the holy women here, that's Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women, the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and, and, and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood in dazzling apparel. They're looking sharp. Messengers from heaven. And they said, and, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. I think that's a great question for all of us. Do you seek to find life apart from the work and person of Jesus? There are people in this room today that are seeking living among the dead. You seek to find your life in your work, your relationships, your kids, your family, your hobbies. Some of you today in here can't wait to get out of here because there's something else. There's an idol in your heart that's going to bring you more joy. You've, you've found life among the dead. Maybe it's a habit that you find your life in. Maybe it's a pill. But I think far too many people who call themselves Christians are standing in the empty tomb, trying to find their life among something that's dead. He's not here. He's risen. When you go, if you ever get the opportunity to go and take a tour of the Holy Lands, there's a, uh, there's a place where they think this is Jesus' tomb. There's a good chance this is it. If it's not, it's one just like it. Oh, why don't we know where... His team was. Because he's not there. And that's good. Because he's alive. He's risen from the grave. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Verse 9. And returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. The other apostles. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to this, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This still could have been the end right here. That's great, ladies, calm down. Our friend, he's dead. We saw him die. We saw him buried. But see, the good thing is, is for us believers is that there was a promise for us that gives us power, that gives us hope, that convicts us of sin. And Jesus said himself that he's going to send something better. Some, that's going to be something better than himself that we're going to have. And that's the Holy Spirit. The reason that these 11 men sitting here doubting this story is an idle tale they don't really have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The power was going to come later from on high. And Peter, who was shaking his head and 
wondering if this is really what's going on. One day he's going to preach a sermon and 3,000 people are going to get saved. An idle tell. Then we find Peter in verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. He knew that they didn't steal the body to, to, to verify their story. He knew that the Romans wouldn't have stolen the body of Jesus because that would have just been silly because that would give them an excuse. Say, well, he's not here, he's risen, so we can verify our story. But Peter's going home, he's marveling at the story. The empty tomb, as he stooped down, he's looked in. Jesus wasn't there. Why wasn't he there? Because he is risen from the grave. And he's alive today. I think that, man, we've got to wrap our minds sometimes around the resurrection a little better. See, we, we talk about the gospel and we, we, we say that he was crucified and he was buried, but we've got we to gotta keep the resurrection in there. And I think as Christians, as believers, I think there's three things that the resurrection provides the believer. Three things. And believer, as you're listening to these things and, and the subpoints of these things, you need to uh, rest in these. You need to find your, your joy and your life in these things. Unbeliever, if you're thinking, look, this is a 2,000-year-old story that a man died, rose from the grave. I just don't believe it. I don't buy it. I'm here because of, a friend brought me. Maybe you think that's why you're here. But you're here today to hear the truth of the resurrected, risen Savior who can give you life. I'm standing here, a man completely changed by the fact that there was a Jewish carpenter who rose from the grave first century A.D. And I believe it with all of my heart and has absolutely radically changed my life and countless of other lives in here that I'm looking at. It changes. It transforms. The Apostle Paul has been one who's been transformed by the resurrection, by the resurrected Risen Jesus. And he speaks on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you want to flip over there, we'll look at a, a few passages and we'll, we'll go through these uh, three things that the resurrection provides a believer. We'll go through these together. First of all is peace. The resurrection provides peace. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're maybe starting to take some notes. But let's ask yourself a real question. Do you really genuinely have peace today, right now? Now, some of you are thinking, well, yeah, you know, I got, my family's doing well. Um, you know, I, I got a pretty good job and um, we're, we've finally got into a good church. And yeah, I'm at peace about those things. But what if you were to, to think about this? What if, what does your, the peace in your heart do when you think about you standing before the one who died for you and him looking into your face. Do you, do you have peace about that? Because if you embrace the resurrection, you can have peace about that. Not just peace about circumstances that are fleeting in your life, but peace about your eternal state and your heart, your spirit, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Now I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for sins according to scriptures, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. We can have peace knowing that Jesus was resurrected. You can have peace concerning your past, all of your past mistakes, all of the things that you've tried to forget about, that you've tried to hide, that no one else knows about, even the things you did yesterday that you're ashamed of. You can stand before God and have peace about your past because of the resurrection. Because Jesus died for that. Whatever you're having shame about, guilt about, He died for that. And He buried that with Him. And He rose from the grave. You can have peace. You can know that your debt of sin has been paid. I think the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus kept His word. Do you believe in the words of Jesus? Do you believe that what He said He would do, He did? you believe that? Matthew 17, 22, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And He will be raised on the third day. Jesus said it. You can have peace today knowing that Jesus' words are trustworthy. How do you know what Jesus said? How do you know how Jesus is speaking to you? Get in the Word. Read the words of Jesus. If you know the words of Jesus, there's a peace like a river that can just flow over you. The resurrection of Jesus means that He kept His Word. He's trustworthy. The resurrection of Jesus, next. It gives us peace. The resurrection of Jesus, He fulfilled the Scriptures and the promises of God. We just read in 1 Corinthians 15, 4. He was raised on the third day accordance with the Scriptures. God has rich, beautiful promises for you and your life. And they're found in Christ. That the Savior of the world is alive and doing well today. He rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. Because of that, you have peace. Because Jesus is raised, He can still heal the way He did on earth. There's a lot of people in here. You doubt whether or not God can heal someone. God can still heal someone. You pray that He would. How? In the name of Jesus. And if He doesn't heal that person that you prayed for, you keep praying. You keep praying. And if they never get well, God's still good. You can still keep praying. Acts chapter 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. The apostles, they healed someone. Now, what's going on? Well, in this sermon here, the preacher tells these people it's because of the resurrection that this person is well today. So when you pray for someone, you pray believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You can even pray that. Lord, I know you rose from the grave. And I believe you can heal my friend. But sometimes we have to be realistic. I have to stand next to 
Rack, Shack, and Benny. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they said, we know that our God can deliver us, but if He doesn't, we'll still praise Him. We know that our God can heal. The apostles believed that He could based on the resurrection. But if He doesn't, we'll still trust Him. If He doesn't spare our life, if He doesn't spare us of famine and disease and sickness, He's still good. We can still trust Him. And if you believe that, you can have peace. There's some people in this room right now who are really struggling because you have someone close to you who's ill. Pray in faith that God would heal them. Believe. And if He doesn't, pray that God's will be done. Next thing that we can have peace with because the resurrection, He gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You can be right with God. The holy, just, righteous God of the universe. You can be in right standing with Him today through the resurrection. You have peace in your life. That's why God sent Him. So that God's justice and wrath could be satisfied. The only other way is that is for eternal punishment. Either God's justice and wrath is satisfied in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, or God's justice and wrath is satisfied through eternal condemnation. And we can stand today not condemned because we look at the cross and we say yes. Because God's justice and wrath is satisfied. God makes peace with us by substituting His Son's suffering for our penalty. And now we can come to Him as a loving Father. It's been paid. There's peace because He gives repentance and forgiveness of sin. God secured our justification by raising Jesus from the dead. Romans 4.25 He was delivered up for our trespasses our sins, our iniquities, the things that we've done that have offended a holy God. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Many people don't know what justification is. Justification is like a a declaration of innocence. That God has declared that you are guilt-free. And we can only have that through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we just say it's just because of the crucifixion, the blood of Jesus. Yeah, but if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, then we end that conversation. The Bible says itself right here. And He was raised for what? Our justification. It is not that the resurrection accomplished our justification. Jesus' sinless life and sin-bearing death did that. But rather, it assures us of our justification. Jesus accomplished your rightness with God through the death and sin-bearing that Jesus did. But it assures us of our justification with the resurrection. It was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. 
And by that act, God declared that Christ's atoning sacrifice has been accepted. The penalty of our sins was paid in full. In full. The resurrection was God's declaration that He had canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Everyone, every person breathing, has a record of debt against God. The Bible says that no one is good, no, not one. We ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people? That only actually happened once. And he volunteered. No one's good. Everyone has a debt of sin. That justice is required to be atoned for. And Jesus took that justice on the cross. That wrath of God. And is satisfied. And you can be at peace today knowing that. We can have peace in the resurrection. Not only that, we can have purpose. Do you have purpose today? See, I think there's a lot of people in here and you came to church because, you know, you're, you're looking for something. You think that, that if you come today that God's going to like you a little better because you got up and came to church. And you're not winning favor with God by showing up to church. You're not winning His attention and His favor by doing great things. You get God's favor by saying yes to the cross. By believing and receiving what Jesus did on the cross is enough for you to be right with God. That God took every, all the steps necessary to make you right with Him. He did that. And we believe that and we receive that. Therefore, we get to live for Him. And we get to obey His commands because we love Him. We get to follow Him. We get to walk with Him. We get to go and do as He's called us to go and do. But too many times we flip that. We got to obey his commands so he'll accept us. We got to follow him so we'll be right with him. We got to do what he's called us to do so we'll be right with him. So he'll like us. So he'll approve of us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God approves of you if you believe and receive that. Therefore, you get to, by the grace of God, walk in his way, obey him, serve him, follow him, and have purpose. You can walk away today knowing that I have purpose in my life because Jesus rose from the grave. 1 Corinthians, keep going in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's get down to verse 8. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles. This is Paul talking here. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary... I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, in, that is within me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul has a purpose here. He says it's only by the grace of God. This grace of God is shown forth in the crucifixion, the burial and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus appeared to Paul and given him this purpose by the grace of God, it's because He rose from the grave. What's your purpose today? You're a young person, teenager. What's your purpose? And I had this. But God, God got a hold of me when I was 17. Before that, man, you, your, your parents didn't want you hanging out with me. 
And God lit my bones ablaze for him. And all I want to do is follow him and serve him. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then I am a fool for saying that. But he did. What's your purpose today? Do you feel like you're a person of purpose? You feel like you can say in your heart, your mind right now, I know I have a purpose in this life. Because of the resurrection, Jesus intercedes for us in heaven before God. When he rose from the grave, he ascended and went to the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us. That's what intercede means. He's praying that we would do well. He's praying that we would would strive to serve Him, to obey Him, to to make disciples. We can't do that apart from Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus was the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How can you go on in life with your purpose? Well, one good way can help is knowing that Christ has commissioned you and Christ is interceding for you. He's praying for you. When you, when, when you come before God and there's anxiety in your heart, you're troubled in your life, what's going on? And you don't know what to pray? You don't even know how to say it? Don't just put your head down and not pray. Pray that. I don't know what to pray, Lord. I'm just going to plop down right here. I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. Pray for me, Jesus. Just rest there. Just stay there for a little bit. Because most of us, when we talk about purpose in life, we're not even anywhere near that room. We're still trying to figure out how to sort through all our shame and guilt and anxiety and worries and uh, uh, everything else that seems like it's in between us having this, ha- having this purpose in God that we're walking in. But you can walk in the purpose that God has placed you here because Jesus is interceding for you. And if He didn't rise from the grave, He's not going to intercede for you. But He's alive and well, praying on your behalf. You can walk in the purpose that God has given you. It's okay to say, I can't do it. Say that in prayer. Lord, I can't do it. But hallelujah, Jesus lives. And through Him, you can. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning and guarantee of our resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. Is that good for you? Being in the presence of God? That's a purpose of mine. That's a purpose of yours. To be in God's presence. Because of the resurrection, you can be in God's presence. Because of the resurrection, Jesus will bring you into the presence of God. I think we need to say together that my purpose in life is the presence of Christ. What do you want to do when you get older? Be with Jesus. I know, but what's your purpose? Rest and live in His presence. Okay, great, but how are you going to pay the bills? That'll happen. Because if you realize that Jesus actually died for you, He really did rise from the grave, 
When you desire Him and being in His presence, what, what better purpose is that? But I gotta, I gotta admit to you, you know, having a purpose in Christ is not always the safest thing. There are countless people that have gone on before us that have longed for purpose in Christ for their life and it's led them into some dark situations. It's, it's clear that people live in purpose for the sake of the gospel and it costs them their life. And they're okay with that. The Bible says in Revelation 6 that, 6 that there's still people who are yet to be killed for the sake of the gospel. The people who give their lives for the sake of the gospel, they're not over here focusing on their shame and their guilt and their worries in life. They're over here with their purpose. And they're like Stephen who looked up into heaven as they were stoning him to death and he sees the Lord high and lifted up as they're throwing rocks at him until he dies. And he sees the presence of Jesus. He goes into the presence of Jesus. He walks in purpose in this life in the presence of God. In the presence. We can have the presence of our God. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we now enjoy His personal fellowship with us. In, in Jesus' words of the Great Commission, He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's always with you. He's always there. So you can strive to serve Him because you're not doing it alone. He's with you. If He didn't rise from the grave, He wouldn't be with you. But he rose from the grave, and so therefore he's with you. He's walking with you. He's carrying you through. We are raised with Jesus so that our true life is hidden now in him. Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. goes on to say, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's your true purpose. That's your true life. That's your true hope. To be with Him. To be raised with Him. Not only was He crucified, buried, but He was resurrected. And the Bible says that we can be raised with Him. Because Jesus was raised... He received the promise of the Holy Spirit and poured out the Spirit on us. Yeah, Acts chapter 2 says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. If there's no resurrection, then there's no Holy Spirit. But there is a resurrection. And He is giving us the gift of the Spirit. And we can have purpose in that. Because the things that God is calling you in your life to do are impossible for you to do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't teach a Sunday school class. You can't go on a mission trip. You can't share the gospel with your neighbor. You can't walk in according to God's commands in your life. But there's a Holy Spirit. 
See, for a long time when I was, when I was younger in my faith, I thought that, man, I thought it was crazy that Jesus would tell his, his followers that it's good that I leave. I mean, I don't want you to leave, Jesus. Let's stay here with me. And there was a point, there was a season in my life where I just, I wanted more of Jesus and the Holy Spirit was just kind of not even present in my life. But the Holy Spirit is active and well residing in us. And we have purpose in our life. We can walk in that purpose because of the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we can have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can live in us in power, in might, gives us words to say, convicts us when we stray, when we wander, because we're prone to do that. Brings us back, keeps us close, works in our heart. It's changing you today, at this moment, the Holy Spirit is working in lives. No resurrection, no Holy Spirit. Not only we can have purpose in that, we have the risen Christ takes the place for us that the law once had so that we can bear fruit for God. Listen to this, Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean, died to the law through, the, through, through Christ? See, God's requirement for you and for me is to keep His law perfectly. That's His requirement for you, for me, today. Raise your hand if you've succeeded in that. No. But see, God's requirement of us in perfection, Jesus accomplished that through His death and resurrection. So, so many people that I talk to feel that they're just you know, worthless in the kingdom. I feel that all they ever do is just mess up all the time, all the time, all the time. And that God's just ticked off at them all the time. And he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can slap you. Some of you, some of you have kids, you, don't, you, you mess up, you like thump them. What are you doing? God's not like that. He doesn't wait for us to win his approval by, approval for, by us doing all the things that he's requiring for us to do. Because all that we were required to do, Jesus fulfilled. And see, we're so... It doesn't make sense for us. Because so many people want to say, no, 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 no. i got to do good. i got to do right. i got to be better. i got to achieve this. i got to do these things so God's going to approve of me. That's just not the gospel. Put Jesus back in the tomb if that's for you. But He rose from the grave. And He accomplished the law. He fulfilled the law requirement that was for you, for me. And I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to have purpose in that. So that you may belong to another, to Him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Yeah, we bear fruit for God. Sometimes people are like, well, I don't know if He's a, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but I can sure be a fruit inspector. I can sure tell by their actions. And yeah, we, we can sometimes look at somebody's actions and kind of come up with a conclusion whether or not they're... They're a believer. But the thing is, is we can bear fruit because of what Jesus did on the cross. He rose from the grave so we can bear fruit. Not that we better bear fruit so He can like us better. The burden of the law was crucified and freedom from the law rose from the grave. That's why we're free. We're free from the letter of the law. So not only do we have peace and 
purpose because of the resurrection we have hope. We have hope concerning your future. Do you have do you really have hope today concerning your future? Do you have peace today concerning your past? Do you have purpose today concerning your present? See, tomorrow's victory has already been made. It's it's a shoe in. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's been made. First Corinthians fifteen, twelve through nineteen, Paul goes on to say. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if if it is true that the dead are not raised. For... If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ was not resurrected from the grave, you really, really should feel sorry for me. I should really feel sorry for you if Christ isn't resurrected. Because you and me, we're, we're to be pitied more than anybody else. Because we're basing our hope in something that didn't happen. But it did happen. He rose from the grave. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death will never have dominion over him or you ever. Romans 6, 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Jesus is alive today, and because of that, we have no fear of death. Some of you are afraid of death. Embrace the resurrection. Don't fear death. Rejoice in the resurrection. That Jesus beat death. That That because of your sins, you required death. But Jesus paid for your sins and he beat death. And so we can have hope. He won. We win. That's it. That's it. We win. I win. Because Jesus rose from the grave. I win. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. You shouldn't be afraid of death if you've embraced the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are born again to a living hope. First Peter says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can have hope for your tomorrow based on one simple truth. And I'm saying it over and over and over today. He rose from the grave. You can have hope today because He rose from the grave. I think today what I want you to understand is Jesus rose from the grave. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, He has a name above every name and every knee will bow to Him. Every knee. Philippians 2, 
9 and 10 says, God has highly exalted him because he was humiliated to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was buried and God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. Every single knee will bow to the resurrected, risen Savior. Everyone. Now, today we have a privilege. You today have an opportunity, if you've never bowed your knee and confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that now, and God will welcome you as a friend, and you can have purpose in the, for the rest of your life. You can have hope. You can have peace from here on out, because the resurrected, risen Savior died on the cross for you, fulfilled all the requirements of the law, took all of your sin debt, died for that, rose from the grave. You can have peace, purpose, and hope today. Every knee, the Bible said, what did it just say? Every knee will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. You confess to Him as your Savior and Lord today and be welcomed as a friend or you'll confess in judgment Jesus is Lord and you'll be condemned. What a, what a, what a gracious opportunity that we have today to come and confess Jesus is Lord today. Confess in your life that Jesus is my Lord today. Bow your knee today. Say Jesus is Lord. We have great hope in that. Because Jesus was raised, He is now appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 says, He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, the incarnation, the story of Christmas, God become flesh. Jesus came as an innocent baby. But he has the right to judge and he will return as judge. Now, if you're a believer, you should have hope in that. Jesus, we've already said, fulfills His promises from His Word. He says that He's going to come back. He's going to return as judge. So embrace Him now. Bow your knee to Him now as the suffering man of sorrows, the servant of God who bled and died and was resurrected. Come come take that face-to-face relationship that's offered to you with the Father that you can have today. Come receive that from Him and believe that That you have peace and purpose and hope because of the resurrection. Because one day the judge will return who's been appointed by God. And he's going to come with flame and with sword. And it won't be pretty. So the open invitation is for you to come and have this face-to-face relationship with the full love of God. And the, the alternative to that is to... Refuse that and one day be face to face for eternity with the full wrath of God. What grace upon grace that we have today that is offered freely. God did did all the requirements necessary to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the invitation is free. Grace free. Free today. Mercy. Free today. So ask yourself, do you really, genuinely... Have peace in your life. Well, take a moment and remind yourself of what I said a hundred times today. He rose from the grave. 
And that can give you peace. Do you really see your life as a life of purpose today? Feel like you're walking in God's purposes? Well, through the resurrection, you can. Do you really have hope today? Do you know that when you stand before God, you know for a fact, you hope in that, you know that when you stand before Him, it's going to be wonderful. Does something burn in you a little bit, kind of push back a little bit in your heart But when you hear that? I mean, if that's the case, then maybe you need to come face to face with the love of God today. And see that love died for you. That grace died for you. That mercy died for you. And it was buried and it's resurrected. But you can come today and eat and drink of the table of our God free of charge. And you can come and find your life in Him. That you can leave today having peace in Him. That you can leave today having purpose and hope today. There are people in this room today that need a resurrection. There are people in this room today, you're simply a vertical corpse. You are dead in your sin. You've never placed your life, your faith in Jesus You've never said yes to the spectacle of a cross. You've never really genuinely clapped your hands at the resurrection. There are people today in this room today that need a resurrection. You fooled me for far too long. You fooled the people sitting next to you for far too long. You know it. God knows it. You are dead. You need a resurrection. You need to come. And drink of the fountain that never runs out. You need to come and find yourself forgiven, loved, with peace and purpose and hope. See, Jesus was crucified. And we place our faith faith in Him. We are crucified with Him, the Bible says. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Paul thinks he's a dead man. No longer dead in sin, but dead in sin. As a slave to Christ. I am crucified with Christ. See, Jesus was buried. And when we're crucified with Him, our life is gone. It's no longer ours. It's His. We are buried in Him. And praise God, He rose from the grave. And praise God, we can walk in resurrection life. The cross that's behind me right now is a representation of the cross which Jesus died. Baptism waters, when those are stirred, is a representation of a life who has been crucified with Christ. And they've come off the cross and they're buried with Him. And it is amazing to see a crucified life come off the cross and buried with Christ and raise up in a new life. It is wonderful to see that. And there's people who have done that recently. And I just rejoice with you. Because it's not a religious thing. It's not somebody out there declaring you this or that. Or you've gone through certain motions and you've got the boxes checked and all that stuff. That's not it. That's simply not it. 
It's about you coming before Jesus and realizing your need for Him. Realizing the debt of sin that you should have paid. That He died for. That He paid in full. And you come before Him and you throw your life on Him and say, I'm no longer mine, but I'm yours now. And you find yourself on that cross, crucified with Him. And you come off that cross. You're buried with Him. But praise God, the stone was rolled away. And you come out of that tomb with Him. And you find your life to the fullest. In Christ we are crucified, we are buried, and in Christ we are resurrected. So the question today is, does this reflect your life? Does your baptism reflect that, what I just said? Is that you? Do you really have peace? Do you really have purpose today? Do you really have hope today? I think a lot of us are just still crucified. We haven't rose from the grave yet. Your sins have been paid for. Jesus did that. Quit thinking that you have to pay for that. He died for that. He rose from the grave for that. We're going to have a time of invitation and response. I'm going to invite you to examine your heart and let God speak to your heart today. Do you really genuinely see yourself as a person of peace? Your past, you're at peace with your past, your sin. You see yourself as a person of purpose, a person of hope today. Does a resurrection reflect your life? As we go to God in prayer, I pray that you would respond accordingly to what God's calling you to do. Step out. Be brave. It's worth it. It's better to bow before Him now than bow before Him later. Let's pray. Father God, we lift You up. We exalt You. Lord, as we come to this time of response, we believe, God, that You're here. We believe, God, that your words are true. God, we believe that you are faithful. Lord Jesus, we know that you are alive today. And because of that, we can have peace today. Because of that, we can have purpose today. Because of that, God, we can stand with hope today. That we have embraced by faith the the work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. So God, we bow before you now. Well, God, I pray that you'd give us courage to respond to you. Lord, we love you. God, we need you. We pray this in your good name. Amen. Would you stand? Come, the invitation's open, the altar's open.